Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Transformation Gold Podcast. This is your coach and your hostess, Nicole DeVincentis, aka Figurechick911, up on Instagram and YouTube, coming to you tonight with a different sort of a podcast. As I told you, we were going to be changing things up just a little bit. Tonight, I want to be speaking to some young women. And I thought tonight what we could talk about is, and this is going to have points of application for men. So if you're listening, please, you know, make yourself at home. You're welcome to stay. But I'd really, really, really like to start dialing in a little bit with this one and getting into more the world of young women with super high potential. And um, I had just come from, if you had been listening on our podcast, we had services for one of my cousins today. And I was, you know, all of my cousins were there. And I was talking with my one cousin, Johnny, and and his beautiful daughter. And (laughs) Johnny's a coach. And uh, he loves... He, he, he's a really good talent scout. He, to, he totally is. And he recognizes potential and he likes to groom the potential and he likes to see people operate at their highest potential. And he is such a, a champion and empower of women. It, it's, it's awesome. Like he just, he's that like feel good guy. And like, he always like, he, he just supports women through and through. And we were talking about his daughter and I guess, you know, she's not whatever, rising to the occasion to the level that he thinks, I don't know if you guys are listening, like I don't mean to talk you know, badly about you, but you put me in this position. And so I'm doing this podcast just for you, but specifically for young women with tremendous amount of potential, I want to make one very big a disclaimer, I guess you could call it, before we go forward, and it's this. I want to make something very clear. I own 100% that I myself, I am a very, very, very high-level producer and a very, very, very um, high achiever, and I'm very goal-oriented. When I see something and commit to it, I am 100% into that thing to be the best like I don't I don't compete with other people I I know my own capabilities and I just feel like if there's pieces of knowledge that need to be learned that's my responsibility and I will tell you that that's how I'm built that's like that's part of my DNA my work ethic I believe is partially built into my DNA but it was also part of my environment growing up that I come from a working household, all sides of my families, we've got salespeople, entrepreneurs, and we're all about the hustle. Like we're a large, large, large working family. Now to make, you know, matters worse, if you would, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because when I come and I speak with younger girls or women, anybody in general, but particularly like young girls, I never want to be that person, that coach where it's, well, I did it this way and therefore you should. What I want to make very clear is that obviously, you know, no two people are alike, just like no two snowflakes are the same, that kind of a thing. But where I have come from, both genetically, but my experiences in life are probably going to be different than yours or the girls who you coach or train or girls in your family or anything like that. But if I can give a little bit of insight as to what drives perhaps a high performance woman, 
up through the ages, I'll tell you that just from the get, we're designed completely different. Um, and again, I'm gonna lay out some facts on the table here, not to impress you, but to impress upon you just the, that, they, that they are facts. And then what we'll do is we'll pick it apart a little bit and I'm gonna show you um, probably how it, it's, it's still very similar to you even though we may come from different generations or different times when, when we're actually growing up. So here's what I'm gonna put on the table. These are my cards, okay? So long story short, I am adopted. All right, so I had a, a natural mother. She was a waitress um, in a relationship with a cop and they gave me up for adoption. My parents from Chicago flew across the country to California, adopted me. Um, I was, they didn't know when I was coming, just when I arrived. And then I was brought back to Chicago where you know I have a wonderful family, that, that much is true. I had reached as a young child my developmental milestones very, very early. The, the ability to hold a bottle on my own. I reached that milestone months before any child should have ever and I was very adamant, my mom tells me, about holding it. I did not, I pushed her hand away. I didn't want her help in feeding my own self apparently when I was just a couple months old. And so I will just tell you that I, from the get, I am wired 100% different. I started walking. I think by the time I was nine months, I was already like in full blown, like walking, um, without support. And, um, I know that I had to wear braces on my legs. I can't remember if that was because I was flat-footed or something like that. So I had to, you know, I had to do that. But then I started taking the braces off. The braces you know, used to have like bolts and screws. And my mom came in and I had taken them apart. And she was afraid that I was going to choke on the pieces. So I guess they never went back on again. And then. <laughs> By the time I was two, I was already having like full-blown adult conversations with adults, like grammatically correct, like conjugated verbs, the whole entire nine. So I know that I was way, way, way advanced, okay? So that is my genetic makeup, okay? I've always been able to entertain myself. I never really needed a whole lot of people to keep me busy. I could, you know, I... I we had like educational shows growing up, you know, like Sesame Street and things like that. And so I learned how to speak Spanish from those shows. And I, I just, I didn't really need a lot of entertainment per se, because I just am creative and like to read. And, you know, that, that adds more fuel to your like intellectual fire, the more you like to read. Well, what happens next in a case like that is that when you go then to, for me, it was kindergarten and I loved kindergarten. Um, but by the time I entered kindergarten, my brother Carl was already born and I, I like taking care of babies. And so I already started taking care of my brother Carl. So I started getting actually some responsibilities in <laughs> the first time I was actually told to watch him. I was told to just make it was supposed to be make sure he doesn't fall off the couch but the instructions were to watch him and I did I watched poor Carl roll <laughs> off the couch but then once the once the directions were clear I didn't let that happen again <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> 
But that just kind of shows you like the level of trust that my mom had at me in such a young age. And that was the path of progression that everything took from that point on. Because shortly after that is um, my stepdad was diagnosed with cancer. And so then we had cancer care happening in the family. And then, then there was, you know, job issues where he couldn't work because he was sick. And then he was in the hospital for many months on time. And, you know, we we're taking care of stuff at home and... So I will tell you from a very early age, yes, I had like that genetic makeup of being very gifted and very advanced intellectually, developmental milestone-ish, that sort of a thing. But the home front, the responsibilities also started very, very early on. And, you know, it probably was also because I could be trusted and was so advanced in many ways that I didn't function like a normal four-year-old or five-year-old at those times. I, I could be given tasks and I could be trusted to follow them through and do them and do them well where my mom didn't have to go back and double check my work. Like we did odds and ends just like we did this one job, it was called Cups. I, I think it was for 7-Eleven. Like if you got a Slurpee from 7-Eleven or like a fountain drink, if you would turn the cup over underneath, we there used to be prizes underneath there. So we would go to this one factory and we would um, have the cups like in these giant sleeves of cups. I remember I, we were like, I was like four or five. And on our, on our table, we would just line all these cups up. They were upside down. And then you would, they'd be like a, a temporary tattoo or a sticker or something like that. You'd put it on the, what was the bottom of the cup. And then you had this, this pull off thing, kind of like if you see like individual ice cream packs that they sell, you know, the ones that come with like the wooden spoon. And then there's like that peel, it's got a tab and they like pull the paper off the top. That's what was on the bottom of these cups. So we had this job, it was called cups, and that's what we used to do. And then we did cups for airlines. And they would have like a cup and you would have instant coffee in there or tea or hot chocolate. And then you would line all the cups up, stack them all up, and we'd take them back to the factory. So like we worked from a very, very young age. Well, then I went to kindergarten and the, the teachers are skilled and they're taught to recognize early signs of intellect, um, ability in all different forms. And they wanted me to actually skip the first grade. And my mom did not want that to happen. She wanted me to be socialized as, as my current like chronological age. And so I can say like I, I was kept on, on track, but in many ways I was held back for social reasons, but my intellect was always beyond what the grades grade level was or were. And so when I say with full clarity, like school was never really hard for me, I honest to God mean it because it, I had to learn information and I had to do homework and I had to, you know, read the information, but it wasn't like this mind boggling, draining sort of a thing. Especially, I, I liked school and I liked learning. I liked, you know, language and I liked creative writing. The only areas that I really was never truly enamored by was social studies and history. Like it just, it just didn't do it for me. I'm like totally like a math and science chick over here and artsy, like music and and drawing and painting type of a girl. Um, 
as well as you know physical education I had a, like I wanted to take like power mechanics like I, I like that kind of stuff but the history thing not really a fan and um, going through school I was really 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 strong in math like really strong in math from early on. We used to play this game in third grade and it was with flashcards and it was called Around the World. And you start out with one person as like the, you're standing up and then you stand next to another student who's seated and the teacher holds up the flashcard and whoever gives the correct answer to the flashcard wins and then advances to the next seat with the next student in it. And so I like, I dominated that game like I would go around the whole entire classroom nobody she could even get the flashcard up and I already had the answer out like I was a freaking rock star in math it came naturally to me but I also practiced my multiplication tables and division tables like nobody was going to beat me like it was so then there comes the other side of me where it's not so much even am I competitive with other people it's just that I'm going to be the best so it really honest to God it has nothing to do with anybody else I can't even say it's I'm competing with myself it's just that nobody else is going to beat me like nobody else is going to win I'm going to win I'm going to freaking dominate this like this is that's just how I am and I think that that's genetically inbred in me. I, I really don't know where that came from. It's always been, you know, my thing is the stuff that I dial into. Nobody else is, it, I'm winning by a landslide. Like that's just, that's just a fact, okay? So if this is resonating with you, okay? I want you to know that you're not totally alone. But I will say that there was a time when that whole like, and, and people still say to me nowadays, like, Nicole knows everything. And I don't, like, what can I tell you? I'm not sure if I have a photographic memory. I totally read, like, a lot from a lot of different subjects. I just have this, you know, affinity for remembering stuff. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm one of those gifted individuals. Like, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it. There's nothing I'm going to change about it. It's how God made me. I love it. I embrace it. And I, I just know a lot of shit, okay? So, but there was a time when I got into high school where knowing the answer all the time, it started to become painful for me. And it was when I was in a math class, actually. And I believe it was my junior year. And it was, I think it was a pre-calc or trig. I can't remember. It was one of those two where you're doing like advanced, you know, stuff. And my teacher, his name was Mr. Seepley. Like he was like the little skinny older guy and he wore the pencil, the uh, pocket protector with the pencils in there. And he was all about math and we had a chalkboard. It wasn't dry erase. And so when he would get into like his math frenzy, like there'd be like this big cloud of like chalk smoke dust up there. Cause he was writing like horrendously. And then he had this piece of hair and he'd like wisp it out of his eyes. like. He was, he was really, really, really good at math. And he knew that I knew the answers all the time. So when he would try to get other people in the class 
to engage and they would get it wrong, he would get frustrated and then he would point at me and ask me what the answer was. Well, I mean, I knew what the answer was and so I would always say it, but then there there came to be problems like everybody you know they we had assigned seating but people would try to cheat and then you know I didn't want to be like that girl I, I I wanted to be accepted by boys and you know I was already like on honor roll and and the thing was is I didn't I didn't get the highest GPA like for me it was not important for me to be like the valedictorian I honestly just didn't give a shit like I, I I had so much other responsibility going on at home that as much as I liked school, like it wasn't it wasn't a hundred percent a priority. Like I knew that I was going to college. I knew I was going to get into a great college. Like that was so it, 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 for me it, and I studied, don't get me wrong. Like I pulled all nighters when I was in high school and I remember sleeping in my bed with books and I would take a nap for an hour and then wake up and then read for another, you know, couple hours because I, you know, took AP classes and stuff like that. And so I will own the fact that I put in work to acquire the knowledge that I didn't have, but all in all, like being the valedictorian, honest to God, it that was simply not a goal. <laughs> so I, I don't know what else to tell you about that. Like it really wasn't. And in this math class, there was a boy who I, I didn't have a full-blown crush on him, but I really, I, he was hot. Like he was on the swim team and you know, like really cute guy. And I, he, I heard him making comments about me one time about how I always knew the answers and I didn't want to be known as that girl because in my eyes you know when you're a teenager you want to be accepted by your peer group so here's where you may find some points of connection that one day Mr. Seepley had picked on you know different people to say the answer to a particular question and they none of them got it right and so finally he turned to me and I had had it like by this point in time you know I had I had not gone to any of our dances I had you know no boyfriends like but all my girlfriends had and so for me it was really really a large pain point I didn't want to be the outcast anymore so when he asked me the answer I gave him a false answer on purpose and he knew it. He totally knew it because he, he had like this voice of disgust. He was just like, Ugh. and I, I felt horrible because I disappointed him, but he also knew that I lied about it. So it was like doubly bad. And I, he, he ripped me a new one in front of the class. Cause he's like, you are, you know, the answer. And here's why because I was actually the kid who didn't need to show my math. Like, I, and I actually got in trouble in a lot of, until I got to his class, I used to get in trouble by the teachers. You know, you get points taken away if you don't show your math. And this is before they did that freaking common core bullshit. So this is like, you know, real math. And um, I would just put the answer down. And all the other teachers, I would get all these points taken off. You have to show your math. And for me, as that young of a kid, like my first response was why? I mean, the answer was right. Did I get the answer right? Yes, but you have to show your math. Why? So now much like how, when I try to coach people and people ask me like, how do you do this, this, and this? It's taken me years for me to figure out like what the F 
uh, how do I how do I get to this place? Like, why am I so strong? So that's like the beauty of podcasting. It's making me kind of like look back and think like, how in the hell did this even happen? But when it came to math, it just like I actually then got points taken off when I tried to show the math because I couldn't figure out how to do it. I only knew the answer. And so when I said to the, like the teachers, I was like, but the answer is right. Then they thought that I cheated. And that wasn't the case. So by the time I got to like Mr. Seafley's class, he was the first guy who, and this was why he had such a high expectation of me, is I was that kid. I was the kid, like, if you said, how did you get that answer? I say to you with clear conscience, looking straight in your eyes, I looked at the problem. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter if this was trig. It didn't matter if this was pre-calc. It, it, honest to God, didn't matter. I could look at the problem and give you the answer. And for from the mathematic world, like that's the sign of a freaking like mathematical genius right there. And I tried. I really kept like it on the don't tell it. Like just like I'm just like that aspect of school. Honest to God, it was not. It was not my priority, but that's the kid that I, I am, I was, but that's why he had such a high expectation of me is because I was the kid that just could look at a problem and freaking like put the answer down and it was correct. Whereas everybody else thought that I was cheating. So for me, if it's you right now, my girls, or even my coaches who are dealing with girls, is you have to respect the fact that sometimes there's going to be a time in a, in a girl's life where if she's apart from everybody else, like there's such a thing as peer pressure. And I will tell you like that, I remember doing that on purpose. Like I just, I couldn't stand to be like that brain kid who knew all the answers all the time. I was weird enough as it was. I didn't have any boyfriends. Like it freaking was painful. Like looking back, it was so trivial, but at the time that's your whole entire world. Like what can I say? But here's what I will tell you as a very high producer and gifted woman, like I, that's from God. I just, I'm just the vessel. I know I have multiple gifts. I, I still don't even know why he gave me those things, but you're not supposed to question him. So again, cards on the table is that when it comes to like, if this is your genetic makeup, you cannot try to motivate me into doing something. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> I'm either doing it or I'm not. And, <laughs> and I think anybody who knows me would totally agree. Like, there's, there, don't even try. Like, you cannot, like, shake a carrot in front of my face. Because that, that shit, it doesn't motivate me. Like, telling me that I'm going to get some sort of a reward for doing something well, honest to God, that shit does nothing for me. I don't need motivation. I don't need encouragement. I, honest to God, I'm born with my own fucking drive and I do not, I, I, and I refuse. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I swear to God, 
the past two weeks have been so interesting with feedback that I've gotten that people have said, you know what, you should have been a Marine. Like you're so motivating. And it was a post on my Facebook page and I, I think it was my mom. And I said, mom, I never would have made it through boot camp because I don't respond well to constant yelling. And she's like, but you grew up with a mom who yelled all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, like, exactly. Like, that's, I, I just don't do that. Like, I just, I prefer to be chill. Like, there's times if I need to throw down, I will. But that's not my first line of, of action. Like, my first line of action is I'm committing to a goal. I, you know, the less emotionality that goes into attainment of the goal. Like, this is all, I don't need to be pumped up and jacked up. I just, it, that's not how I am. So I will say that when it comes to dealing with young girls, like perhaps if you're dealing with a very high producer, high level performer, like you, you need to know your players. Like perhaps she's just not doing it because she honestly doesn't give a flying F. Like if that was me and history, I seriously, I didn't give a shit about it. So they're really like, I did the bare minimum. I, you know, and I think I passed with B's and probably got some C's in there. Cause I honestly, I never read, I didn't give a shit. Same thing with AP English. Like I never read any of the books. I wrote some freaking paper on existentialism. I still, to this day, I don't know what it means, but I wrote a whole freaking paper on it. I, I don't even know how I wrote this paper on it because I didn't read any of the books in that class. Like I honestly didn't give a shit. The only reason why I took that class was for a financial reason because I was going to be paying my way in college. I'm telling you, this like my life, you know, unfolded here. I, the only reason I took the AP classes was because I was told that you would pass out of that class, you would get college credit for it. And then in my mind, I was doing the math and I was thinking, well, great, it's going to be one less class that I need to pay for. Only to find out that I don't know how it worked at, a, at like a, a public university or like a state university. I went to private school. I went to Loyola. I got there and the people the accepting whoever they were, counselors or whoever it was that looked at your transcript, they were like, oh, yeah, that was great. You took those classes. But um, that just means we put you in English 201 instead of 101. <laughs> you, you don't get the credit and then I have to do it. It didn't count for my credits towards graduation from college. It just bumped me up a level and I had to take that shit anyway. So like, I, like my master plan, like it, it pissed me off. Like I was like, what the F? Like why, why did I go through like, and then I didn't want to write the paper on existentialism and then I had to sit there and pretend like I was interested when my English teacher was, she was all about it. And I'm like, I just, I, I'm not reading, what is this? Pride and Prejudice, Crime and Punishment. One of those books, I don't I didn't even read it. I didn't even read it. So <laughs> I'm that kid. If I'm not doing it, like I'm not doing it. It's literally like that. But that's one of the secrets to success is that. Now, hold on. I'm not saying F off in school. That is not what I'm saying. I want to, I want to remind everybody my responsibilities as a young girl were very different. I mentioned that in the beginning, in the beginning of the podcast in that we had a lot of 
trying times in my household. Okay, now my parents divorced when I was really young. I saw my dad on the weekends and my dad's family on the weekends every Saturday, you know, spent time with them. It, so there was no like, you know, the missing father or anything like that. That was not the case at all. My dad's a, a total hustler. He's like a master salesman, top level producer in his industry, like in the country for years and years and years, for decades. In my home, because my stepdad had cancer and he was eventually unemployable because he was always sick, he was always in the hospital, he was, you know, then he got diabetic and then he just, like, it was one thing after a freaking another, like, nobody would let him work anymore. And they were just like, you're just too freaking expensive. He got laid off. We started three businesses out of our house, okay? And it was literally to keep food on the table. So myself and my brother Carl, we started working at a very, very young age in different facets of our home business. And that included chores and that included, you know, cooking dinners. Like I was inside household operator. My mom would go to, you know, to the hospital or she would go out in the car and deliver Avon. She was an Avon lady. Like we were nonstop hustlers. And then there was school for me. Now, my family is not so much, the family, the household that I lived in is not like, I wouldn't call them largely academic. I was the skew on the bell curve from the get. My genetic makeup, my commitment to, you know, just, you know, dominating the stuff that I really, really liked. That was how it was. My father was the only one who went to college, but nobody else on my mom's side they didn't really even do well in school. So I was the skew on the bell curve. All right. So, but what I'm saying is that when you have that sort of ballsy backbone, like I know that I do, you know, it wasn't that I didn't do anything in any of the classes and got F's. All right, so I, I passed in order to do what needed to be done. I did the work, but it I, admittedly, like, <laughs> it just, it wasn't the same level of attention that I had in math or even the same level of attention that I had in psychology or any of my science courses, especially like anatomy and physiology, okay? Like there was a clear, clear cut difference there, okay? Um, this is what I will say is that when you are stepping up into your gifts and you're stepping up into your power, I think it's really important as a woman, as a young woman, as a girl of any age, for you to get clear on the word power or the word, the word powerful and what it honestly means. People started calling me powerful, I can't even remember when, but I always equated power with um, misuse of power, like a dictatorship or, you know, like come in like fist stomping and loud and, and mean, I guess you could say. And that, that wasn't what I, I felt like my makeup was. And so even when I went on to different coaching programs and I had taken like different leadership programs as an adult, and my coaches were telling me like, Nicole, you are a powerful woman. I really resented it early on because I didn't understand what it meant. And 
I, that, that's all I can say. Like it just, it left a sour taste in my mouth and I didn't fully step up into my power. Although I was producing at very high levels. Like I was winning bodybuilding competitions. I was, you know, I became a flight nurse. Like I was doing all the stuff, but it was just like, whatever this powerful thing is, like, I'm not certain that I want to have that. I'm not certain that I want to be any more different from anybody else because still like the lingering problem seems to be here is that I'm so far advanced, you know, little Miss Nikki know-how over here, like no guy wants to date me. The ones that do like, it's just as a means of a conquest and it is a woman like I like it, it gets rid of certain like I don't have a lot of friends like I don't have a lot of things in common to talk with them like it just seemed like that whole powerful thing was not leading me on the path that I wanted to be on which was I don't want to say wanted to be like everybody else I want to say like I felt like I never fit in a place it just there has to be something more to talk about than each other <laughs> more to talk about than the weather more to talk about than something but I I don't so for me like that whole like being a powerful woman it, it just it wasn't explained right to me and I can tell you now I think having much more life wisdom and experience like you don't have to use the word powerful powerful I I think when you for me operating in your gift and my 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 job it's my duty to maximize my gifts for me that resonates and I know it's just words but those words resonate with me and who I am far more than like straight up dude like you freaking powerful do you see what I'm saying I don't I don't know if that helps you in any way if that helps in your capacity but all I will say is this, is that, you know, life goes on and you are the one who has to make those decisions on whether or not you're going to press the accelerator in your, in your gifts and in your strengths, or if you're going to press the brake, you will always be called out and people just like Mr. Seepley did in math. Like when you are like dimming your shine, like the people will call you to the table on it and you will be so glad that they do. Um, but that drive to step up into it, it's, it's really innate. It comes from you. And if you're not pushing the accelerator, you know, outside of reasons, I think when you're an adolescent, like you don't want to be seen as exceptional or gifted because sometimes it comes with a stigma where boys aren't interested in you or the girls start to talk catty about you or then you become the teacher's favorite and you know all that stuff that gets built into there I understand it I get it like school and and that whole social circle like that's your entire world what I will tell you is that you don't always have to produce and make a big deal about it like you don't have to put it on social media for me I tried that just because and for me like I just don't give a shit. Like I, if, if, if I accomplish something, it honestly has nothing to do with anybody else. I swear to God. Like I remember like putting things up there when social media was newer or I was newer on the platforms, but I did it because everybody was like, you're so private about your life. And 
it's not because I choose to be antisocial, but it's, it's seriously like, I just, this is just what I do. Okay. So this is not in my mind, this is not exceptional. This is not, and I work like I put in the fucking work, excuse my language. So if I, if I need to study, I'll do that. If I need to stay up all night, I'll do that. If I am adhering to a certain nutrition plan because I have athletic goals, I do that. I may highlight some things now because I have an online coaching and training academy that I'm marketing and I may position myself as congruent with my message, i.e. I meal prep, i.e. I work out, i.e. I public speak, i.e. champion mindset. Do you see what I'm saying? So I will do that, but only as like a marketing tool. It's anything else that people see about it like I just believe I'm a freaking walking billboard for my personal professional brand I've always been very serious about my work even during the times like when I was in school I'm 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 just building this brand like I have a last name the last name was given to me it could have been given to any other kid who was up for adoption but for some reason it was given to me and my job is to now maximize my gifts to their maximum potential and bring honor to the family name that was given to me and entrusted to me. And that's, that's honest to God, like what I've done. And I know that probably in, when you're in an employment situation, it can be hard because what motivates other people to work and produce doesn't motivate a high level achiever or a high producer or an A player, if you would. And I, I know what I bring to the table. I know that I'm an A player. Like it's, it's, it's there. Okay. It's like the, the writing is on the wall. You know who you are. I know what I bring. I've said it in my interviews when I was out of nursing school. I remember my, my very first nurse manager asked why she would hire me. And again, like my question in my head was like, why the F? Why the F am I sitting here if you're asking me this after an hour of interview? And I just looked at her and I said, because I'm good. And I was that serious about like, I, I, (laughs) what the F? Like, that's always my, like, is that even a question? (laughs) You have to watch it because like your face, you can't erase your facial expressions. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, except there's never going to be when you are honest to God, like a high achiever, high level producer. Some people call it being a cleaner. I know um, (laughs) Tim Grover calls it, are you a cleaner, a closer or something else? And uh, people tell me, Nick, you're a friggin' cleaner. I know that I am, but it, it comes with an expense because, and, and much sacrifice because you are different. And I want you to know, like, I get it. And I don't have like, what's the end of the tunnel for you? What's the end of the path for you? Does it mean that, you know, your knight in shining armor will be waiting for you? I have no effing clue. I, I honestly, I can't tell you that. I can tell you that when you position yourself around individuals who have that same drive, if you would, the issues of you being different as a bad thing don't exist. When you position yourself at the table with winners, and if you're looking at women, I'm going to invite you to look at individuals like the Williams sisters, particularly Serena. 
Serena's like a huge champion of women's rights. But, and again, when you're looking at people, you have to be, have the maturity and the, and the wisdom and the discernment to extract the parts of their message, which are meant for you. You, you know, you're not ever meant to, just like when you're listening to me, there's, you're never meant to like fully absorb. I don't think maybe you are, I don't know, but if some, if things with coaches or whoever's message doesn't resonate with you, you don't have to be the groupie and say, oh, just because this person thinks that it has to be true. All right, I think what really drives a high producer and, and high level performer is the ability to also question, you know, why does it have to be that way? Or why does this person think that way? Or I, I don't believe that. And then you find your own truth. But it becomes hard because then you're trying to come back with information. And when it involves other people, like it can cause a skew, like a, a separation in some of your relationships until you learn the communication tactics on how to challenge, but then also how to, I think, triage the people who you're speaking with, because not everybody who you speak with has a level of education, okay, which is different than just knowing facts. Education teaches you how to consider other viewpoints without getting heated or without getting prideful, like how you, it trains you to be a better responder. And I, I believe that life teaches you that too. At least it should. Because I think when you're young, you're like a whippersnapper. You just come out, you say stuff how it is. And then once you cause a few <laughs> like landmine explosions in your relationships, then you got to like take a step back and just be like, you know what, maybe I need to change my approach a little bit. Or, or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't give a shit if you, you know, come across as harsh. Like, so you're going to learn how to, how to triage your relationships, how to, how to massage conversations, um, how to you know, speak in a way that people like to listen to you. And you're also going to know when and how to speak in a way that is 100% clear. And you will also be willing to deliver those hard conversations that other people are not necessarily willing to have. That comes, that's like another level of like maturity and responsibility that comes with the territory of being a high achiever or a high producer in any given area. Does that make sense? And when you're around the right people, the right people will hear your message regardless of how you say it. So there's comfort. What I guess what I'm saying here is keep moving forward. You can try all damn day to freaking like smash yourself down or cap your potential or dim your shine or not let yourself blossom or not, you know, speak life into your gifts or maximize your gifts, but they eventually come out and they're either going to come out in an awesome way or they're going to come out all weird. It, they, they always come out. It's just because that's how growth happens. So just like if you have you know, a parking lot and all of a sudden comes like this eruption of some kind of a green stemmed like weeds. They grow up through like cracks or sometimes cause cracks in like concrete or asphalt. 
because it's growth which is happening underneath there. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing when it comes to your potential. It's going to come out one way or the other, right? It's just whether or not I think you choose to allow it to and whether the things like you may be good at a lot of stuff like I could be very good at school but for me I just you know chose not to be the best at history because I honestly didn't give a shit about it like it just it was not interesting to me I I really didn't care (laughs) right and and that's how it is and again it doesn't mean be a total slack ass all right wherever you are you know do the best that you are but the more responsibilities you have like if you're coming from hard times and you've got you know you're working while you're in school and maybe this isn't you know when you're in grade school or high school maybe this is when you're in college like you have to prioritize things for your survival and ultimately for your thrival like fast forward a few years when I went to college by this point in time when was that I was already, I was working full-time in college and I paid my way in college. So, um, I was poor (laughs) and I remember it was the year after my stepdad died after my junior year. So it was my senior year and that's like the big year. So you have like advanced classes, advanced med surge. And I just, I don't know. I I had a boyfriend and I was working full time and I honestly, like I tell, I tell you, like I never wanted to be a nurse. Being a nurse was a freaking calling. And we'll talk about that in different podcasts, like what happens when (laughs) you respond to your calling. And, um, I just didn't really care enough about the stupid shit that was in the nursing textbooks. I honestly didn't care about how, how you position a patient in the bed following a liver biopsy like I know that may sound random to you but those are the types of things that are in your nursing books like it's nursing care how do you take care of sick and dying individuals and people pre and post procedures and you know it's these nursing interventions I didn't give a shit and then I stopped studying for a while like I just kind of lost my mojo and I stopped eating during that time I lost a lot of weight like there was a admittedly there was a lot happening but to be totally honest with you I wasn't putting time into my studies and finally one of uh, my instructors it was Dr. Galanik she took me aside because I think if I didn't fail the test I close to did because we also had that university scale where it wasn't like 90 as an A it was 92 and above or something like that or 96 and above was an A I think something like that 92 and above was a B if that sounds familiar like we had that and I didn't do well on this one particular test and this was after I had already gotten called into the dean's office accused of cheating because I did well on an exam that the valedictorian of our class actually bombed so again that that high level potential like it came to bite me in the ass in nursing school and actually once that happened you know what I will tell you that once that happened I got called into the dean's office and accused of cheating for doing well on an exam Um, but what actually happened was the the only reason I got those questions wrong was because the questions were wrong the answers were correct and so the teacher was pissed that I proved that her question was worded incorrectly and uh, once that happened and I I just was like 
I, it shut off. I, I just, I did not give my full gusto in nursing school from that point on because it just, it, it freaking pissed me off. I was, you, you're questioning my character right now. I'm, no. <laughs> and so there you see, like my potential is huge. And when I'm around like areas where I'm disrespected, I don't respond very well. When Dr. Galanik, you know, called me the table and she said, girl, basically like you're effing up here. You need to come through and ace your next exam. I did, but she had a hard conversation with me. Like she told me straight up, like you're going to freaking fail and you're not going to pass nursing school. And I went straight back to my finances and I was like, you know what, if I fail, I'm not going to be able to afford another freaking semester. I have to get the F out of Dodge here. So that was for me, the incentive to move forward. It wasn't because she was trying to motivate me or get me to change my attitude. It had nothing to do with that. It was just the element of, I couldn't afford to stay in school. I got to get the F out of here. And I came back and I aced the exam and that, you know, the rest is history, whatever. But here's what I will say, when that is you, you are going to have to make decisions on like, what gets your attention and where are you going to produce and perform and the areas where you choose not to you have to pay consequences for all right so like you can't always have the best of both worlds what i will tell you there's a big difference between me and maybe where you are is that it's a different era now in that you grew up in the information age and so there's a lot more I think like fact finding and showing you like the right steps and you can go and find how to's very, very simply where it, part of my forward advancement, I think some of it was out of ignorance. Some of it was just out of my refusal to do other stuff, but it was, it was, it wasn't how it is today, if that makes sense. And I don't believe that thinking back like it wasn't my family like cheering me and rying me like you can do it this is great like I don't ever even remember that even happening like all I remember it was just like I don't think I slept for probably eight years when I was in high school and then in college like I was working and then studying and then working more and studying and playing sports and then studying more and that's pretty much what I remember. Like I remember having some elements of a social life, but it wasn't it. That was the, the, the minority of the time. It wasn't the majority. The majority was, was work, school time, obviously working to earn income. That's, that was my life. And that, that was inbred into me because of the level of responsibility that I had as a young girl, which may or may not be the case for you. So in that situation, the only way that you can actually learn is to go out and basically get your ass kicked. Like that's, <laughs> that's the, that's like the hard knocks of school. And you're never going to be able to force a, a high, a high potential individual or a high level producer to do anything. It's either, they're either doing it or they're not. And you need to know your players. Are they doing it as a form of manipulation so that, you know, they can 
control a situation. Like kids are a little bit different nowadays too. So you have to be on the on the lookout for that. But you know, you've got a good-hearted kid. You're a, a good-hearted, you know, individual woman, young young person. You know, you you get to pave your own way. And ultimately, if you are going to exert that level of independence, with it comes a tremendous amount of responsibility that you can either be independent and self-sufficient or dependent. Does that make sense? Like if you're living in your parents' house and you're refusing to do what is asked of you, then the alternative is you don't get the, the, the what's the word? The luxury of living there. It, it has to be one way or the other. So even when I was in the household, I still lived underneath the rules because that's the way that it was. These were the expectations, these are the chores. It wasn't, oh, because I'm so busy, now I, I don't vacuum or dust or, or laundry or dishes or cook dinners or whatever, that, that was not it. Like, and I was also that sort of a kid, again, where I was very responsible, where things were given to me, I didn't have to be reminded like to do the dishes. I didn't have to be reminded if the garbage is full, take the bag out into the into the garage and put it in the big garbage receptacle or something like that I I was not that kid I was trained from a very early age like when you see something that has to be done you do it does that make sense it's not let me just put this off until a different time now school was a different a different story I wrote research papers <laughs> like 15, 20 page research papers and I started doing the research at six o'clock at night the day before the paper was due at like 10 o'clock the next morning. So, I mean, there was, you know, like my family didn't, my family didn't give a shit because they didn't know, first of all, what, what my school management, you know, what was going on. They only saw my report card. They, they just, we weren't like that. Like they, we were running businesses. So it was so different, but I would be up all night and we didn't have a computer, like computers weren't a thing yet. There was a typewriter and so I'd be up. Like, and sometimes then my mom, one night I remember she woke up and she was helping me type this paper cause she's like a mad fast typer um, to just to get this thing done. And um, th that's all I can say. Like you drag your heels in certain areas because I just don't give a shit about writing a research paper about something that I have to pick that begins with the letter C. Like that was an assignment. I remember it and I wrote it on coal. I don't give a shit. Now I do. Now I talk about coal and I talk about its transition. You know, one of the last podcast that I did about how coal changes form and it, you know, it changes, you know, physical form. It becomes a diamond and then the diamond, you know, gets mined and it becomes, you know, you chop away at it and you buff it and you cut it and you put the facets in, you polish it and shine it and you sell it. Like now I think it's cool as hell, but then I didn't give a shit about writing something from the encyclopedia that begins with the letter C. Like I'm just telling you, like the mind of a high producer, like we commit or we don't like we'll do, you know, what's the bare minimum? Like, what do I have to do to get by here in the areas where I don't give a shit? 
and the other places like it's literally just like you don't even hear it like it's just like noise talking at you it, it just like filters straight past you you're already like in a different space like you you shine in the places where you want to be yeah sometimes you get your feelings hurt people criticize you people say this that and the other you should do this you should do that oh you'll never oh you always like you're always like the topic of conversation but honest to god when you are honestly like that that committed individual it doesn't sway your path even if you cry along the way like it doesn't it doesn't sway your path like you're still doing the thing and that part of you it never goes away I swear to you and I you know coming full circle after having what I consider to be like an aberrancy in my life like that whole nursing thing <laughs> it was a calling I never wanted to be a nurse ever ever I I just wanted to be rich when I was little I just I wanted to be rich I wanted to you know have like nice nails and nice clothes and and live in a, a like a pretty place but I, I just, I didn't want to be a nurse and I was called to it and I went there and I kicked ass and I know that I became the best in my field. And after my electively closing the chapter and again, doing so, like I knew what I was sacrificing then to end a 20 year, essentially a 20 year run worth an established network with a known like knowledge base of people and I had education experience, I had clinical experience, like there was no shortage of job or opportunity. I could have gone on to school. In fact, I, I took master's levels classes, like, and it just was not right for me. It was, again, I was like beyond, like I, my level of experience and knowledge was beyond what my teachers in grad school, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I just no, there was no good reason for me to stay there. I didn't like the safety that was becoming unsafe. I didn't like the drippings in of socialism. I didn't like the fact that we were starting to become stunted in what we could do for our patients because now we had to worry about money. I didn't like the fact that they were trying to give us scripts on what to say to our patients. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. And I cut the cord and paid the consequences. Like you stop earning money and it happened in cycles and I you know changed and I I thought okay maybe I should go and you know I'll just work a contract and I'll, I'll make the money and I'll just go in and go out and I, I couldn't do it anymore like I was honestly just finished with it and so now coming out of that where I was operating in my gift I maximized that shit to its full potential while being a bodybuilder while being a very very strong poster person in my family because I mean I've taken care of like a bazillion people in my family I was like the first person to learn that people in my family had leukemia and like all kind like what the hell was that past 20 years because here I am and now coming full circle I get back to the point where I'm like did I just like fuck up like my entire life like I have nothing to show for this. This is what actually happened. Like once you complete, I completed it. All right. So the importance of completion. All right. You step up into your power and now all of a sudden, what do you do? 
okay? So after all of that stuff about worrying about being too powerful, I'm going to tell you, maximize it. And when it's time to end it, you're allowed to end it, but then begins the new chapter. And it starts like this. So what, now what? How's that? That was a lot of information that I knew that I threw at you and you probably weren't expecting, but that's straight up perspective coming from a high level producer, a high level achiever as a woman. So if that's helpful to you, if that resonates with you, please share the podcast, invite people on, you know, invite me out. I'm happy to come out and speak with your girls or, you know, whatever Let's we can do, you know, Skype, FaceTime, whatever. Contact me, transformationgold.org. This is Nicole DeVincentis. I'm signing out. I'm heading into the grocery store because I'm hungry as hell and I'm about to go purchase, you know, all of aisle four. All right. <laughs> Make it a great one. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.